when I look at, at a graph with a bunch of lines, or I look at a spreadsheet, and there's just all kinds of noise there, like, I don't know how to use that. Anybody can look at Privy, and they can say, oh my god, like, here's this heat map of where all the deals are, and then all I have to do is just look for deals where the big blue blobs are right on the map. Right? Like, it make, we really make it simple for people to just look at that and be like, oh yeah, I go here. And and that is is easy for them and then they can dig in and they can say okay cool well, i'm in this big blue blob now here's all the investors that bought those properties you know and we they can do their local market research i don't know that anybody else does that welcome to the freedom chasers podcast where we bring you interviews and discussions that share the stories successes goals and dreams of real estate agents and real estate investors pursuing a life of purpose and freedom all right, guys, today we have Benson Juarez on, a real estate investor and co-owner of Privy, a real estate investing software. I'm crazy excited to have him on today because software is such a great lens into how we do what we do. Uh, there's so many insights that we can cover, and not to mention that you guys have grown Privy to a pretty unbelievable level pretty quickly, gotten in with some amazing, amazing people, so much so that you've even connected me to amazing people, of which I am so grateful. So Benson, it is such an honor to have you on today. And as always, if you'll take us off, what is the craziest real estate experience or transaction you've faced so far in your career? Well, thanks for having me, Matt. I appreciate it. Excited to be here. Happy to help as well. You know, there's some good people out there in the business you definitely want to support and you know, a rising tide raises all ships. So I'm happy to help. Um, you know, thinking back, I, I was thinking about something crazy, but probably one of my favorite stories of my real estate investing career is that I was back 2005-ish. I was buying a lot of property from foreclosures and uh, you just go to the auction and sometimes you would never see the inside of a house. You drive around and you would just kind of see the outside. You just make sure it's not falling over. And so, you know, I acquired this one house sight unseen and it, the numbers were look, would look great. We just couldn't find any pictures on it. We, all we had is the county record data, and I eventually got in the place, and it was a house that was built around an open courtyard. So it was built all around, and so it just looked like a normal house, but in the middle of it was this open-air courtyard. And I remember as a kid, I used to draw a house. I had a drafting table, and I would draw houses and spec them out and just like just build like, these crazy little things. That and is I would so always cool. draw houses that had open-yard courtyards. Yeah. Our open air courtyards. And I bought one without even knowing it. And instead of selling it, I actually moved into it and I did a live in fix. And I just worked on it for like two years on my own. I rebuilt all the cabinets, I did all, all this new tile and just turned it like how I would want it. And it was one of the coolest projects I was ever part of. And it was just kind of like one of my neighborhood, my uh, childhood dreams to have a house like this. And I eventually got one all completely by accident. I want to dive into this because like, I mean, give me an example of your age, like you're drafting at a drafting table as a kid houses. Like, so you had like an architect design, just absolute app from, from early on. How old I was wanted this? to be an architect growing up. I was, I don't know, 13, probably when I got my drafting table. So I got it for Christmas. I told my parents I wanted it. It went downstairs. It was down there. And it was like one of the ones that comes up, you know, and this huge yeah. drafting table. It had all the rulers and the pencils and the shading elements. And it was, I just loved doing it. And I would always draw houses that had these courtyards. And then I got to buy one. That is so cool. I'd like to see the fulfillment of that yeah. dream. How does having an architect's mind, like the aesthetic, how does it affect you as a real estate investor? Like what were say, the pros and cons of having that, that sort of mind? You know, I don't, I don't know. I don't know that that part of my mind really developed, honestly. Like it was an early thing. I was always kind of like an artist. I was drew and I had that kind of a design mentality. Um, and I went to, I wanted to be an architect growing up. And when I went to college, I was, I was going to stay in state. I was either going to go to Colorado uh, State University or University of Colorado. University of Colorado had an architecture school. CSU did not. Mm -hmm. I didn't get in to see you. My grades weren't good enough. So I went to state and I just took the next best thing, which was mechanical engineering, or so I thought it was the next best thing. And it didn't have anything to do with design. And so I eventually ended up in a computer information system degree, which was great because that was my first introduction to like, you know, uh, you know, software and, and design and that sort of thing, which is what I do now. 
So it was kind of serendipitous where I, I get transformed. But as far as like me having a kind of an architectural or design mind now, I would say that kind of just, I grew out of that mm. uh, when, when reality set in. Would you say like the UI, UX element of software, like does that fulfill a little bit of that for you, uh, you know, in designing Privy? It does a little bit, but I'm not involved in that. So my mm -hmm. business partner, Scott Fall, he, he really is the product guy. So he works with our developers and the designers to, to, to build what it is that you guys see today. Mm -hmm. And so this is like V7 or something like that at this point. Um, and we're always releasing, you know, new features and functionality, but, you know, I, I use it more than anybody. So I would say I'm probably the, the foremost expert using the software of anybody that's out there. And I use it every day and we teach it. And, you know, I'm the one that does all the testing and I take the customer feedback and help to turn that into requirements for the development team. Um, but they're really the ones that are the smart guys in the back end that build it all. That's so cool. And I love it because you're living in St. Louis right now to hunt down properties using the software that you guys have built. How has the fact that you're in the game, still doing the game, impacted the software? Like what insights could we share with our investor audience that, that you've learned through the building of the software? I think the major thing for me was if I was going to do anything outside my backyard, I had to feel comfortable with what the local market realities were. And, and this is a big reason why people have an apprehension to go and do things outside their backyard because they're like, well, I don't know that market. So, you know, I'm not, that's not for me right now. The, the actual reality of it is that, that they don't know their own market either. <laughs> they just, they think that, that if they can go look at a house with their own two eyes, that somehow is going to help them evaluate it better, but it really doesn't. It's the data that does. It gives them some comfort and it makes them feel good about it because they can see it and it feels real. But at the end of the day, it's the data that tells you whether a property is a deal or not. So what I was able to do is like, okay, I'm going to do some stuff outside my local market. I'm going to start from scratch. I'm going to start from scratch just like a user would. And I documented my entire process over 30 days. I recorded it all and I actually turned it into a course that I sell. And it was just my journey in starting brand new from scratch without any contacts, any sort of local market uh, intelligence or education. And I just built it all. And so that's what we teach people to do now is that using the, the, the data and using the software, you can really become a local market expert just by researching investor activity and what other investors have already done to have success. So you can see what they're buying properties for, what they're selling them for, what their gross margins were, the percentage of ARV there is. So you can just figure out like what a deal is. This is another one of the problems for the typical investors when they start off and even people who you might call, you know, beginners or even intermediate, they, they use formulas to try to find deals. Like, oh, we're going to do this. You've probably heard of the 70% oh maximum yeah. allowable yeah. offer formula, right? Yeah. It doesn't work. And the only reason to use that formula is if you don't know what a deal is. And a deal is what other investors are closing, right? So if you're wholesaling, a deal is what your buyers are willing to buy. If you're doing the, the products yourself, a deal is what other investors are willing to buy properties for and what they're selling them for and what those retailers are willing to pay for. So that's what our system does. It's, it's really the only education platform that teaches you real estate outside of the theory of, of what coaches and mentors and what they teach is the, is the theory and, and some of the, the systems and, and things that they put into their business. But like what a deal is in your area, you could only ever learn that by going and doing it. You had to learn over time. And that's now with the data and, and what we have and how we curate it, make it actionable is the best way to become a local market expert, hands down. So it's obviously calculating what did people buy these properties for? What did they sell them for? How much depth does it go into in estimating how much repairs that, that those investors did? Because you talked about calculating like profit, so on, like gross margin. Mm -hmm. so, so tell me like is it, what kind of assumptions is the system making and how, how is it calculating those, those factors? Well, we don't because there's no yeah. data that tells us how much they spent, yeah. right? So that's on their own books. There's no publicly available data. Now, whenever someone says, you know, I buy it, at, you know, say 70% of the ARV or whatever, it never factors in costs. For sure. You know, 
percentage of ARV is, is always a gross amount. So if I look at what somebody bought a property at and they bought it at 60%, but that means they would buy a property for me at 60% if it matched you know, all their other criteria. Because any cost that they did on would go on top of the 60%. So let's say that they sold it for 200,000 and they bought it at 60%, they bought, that means they bought it for 120. Well, any construction costs they had would be 120 plus that cost. And then whatever's left over is, is their, their net. So you don't need to know it. It's, it, it's a good exercise to maybe go in and be like, well, I wonder what they netted. So you can take like the, the square footage, maybe multiply it times a standard cost per uh, square foot, like $40 a square foot, you know, and then you could, you could estimate what they spent. Um, based off of, you know, what you can see, because we show you the before pictures too. So you can see what condition the house was in when they acquired it. So you can be like, oh my God, like that was a total gut job and they'd replaced everything. And then maybe that's $50 or $60 a square foot in the Midwest. Or you might look at it and be like, oh yeah, that was just kind of like a, a superficial lipstick flip. So they only had to spend $25 a square foot. So, you know, with what we show you, like there's, we, we have the, a lot of quantitative data but there's qualitative too as well like seeing the photo of the before to realize okay that was a really major renovation compared to something that wasn't and then we also show you who those people were so if you're doing wholesale and you you want to build a buyer's list well you don't just want to go and just meet people off of some facebook group or somebody you met at the local ria like you want to work with people that are closing deals today and we know every single one of them. We plot that on a map. Like here's every single flip that happened in the last 12 months. Here's what they bought it for. Here's what they sold it for. We got the before and after pictures. And then you can really understand their buying criteria without ever without having talking to them because we have it there. We know they closed this deal and we know what the numbers are. And we know if they, if they made money or not, it's actually really none of our business. All we need to know is what they buy at. Right. So, so, so the so, new investor can take the same actions and have hopefully the same similar profits. Exactly. And then we reverse engineer that. So we, we have a, a patent pending on our reverse search, which basically takes all the closed deals and it uses that as a model for what a successful deal looks like. And then we simplified it even further to where there's a button right there at the top that says find similar active deals. So like while you're doing your local market research and you're seeing all the flips, you click one button that says find similar active deals and it reverse engineers it and it goes out and finds properties you can buy right now that are similar to the ones that you just saw that were closed. And then you can take your information that you get from the buyers having you know reached out because you know who they are. And you can be like, well, maybe the house they closed last week, they bought it at 65% of the ARV. But then you talk to the buyer and they say, oh, well, we're buying it you know, 58% of the ARV now because of the market shift. Well, in Privy, you just dial it down. So we have a slider where you move that slider down to 58% of the ARV. That way, if you find anything, you know what matches the buy box of the buyer you just talked to. And so we create this whole system where you can connect the dots and then it's all automated at that point. So then you know that buyer A who buys at 58% will buy three bedroom, two bath homes in 64118 in St. Louis. You set that buy box in Privy, you turn it on and you just set it and forget it. Now you go off and you're going to your job, you're working with the family, you're going on vacation, and you're just checking your email alerts to find real deals you can buy every single day that match your specific deal criteria based off of your local market research and what you want uh, and what your buyers want. So you get an email, hey, here's a deal. You just quickly submit an offer and and begin the process. Like my sales brain like is going wild right now because like the before and after pictures is a really, really cool feature. Not only to get an understanding of the rehab, which I think is is one of the obvious applications, but also like if I want to reach out to an investor to put them in my cash buyer list, I can say, hey, you flipped this property and you did these repairs and this was so cool. It gives you an opportunity to praise the investor, to create a warmer introduction into those. Give me Give me some ideas too of like, what are some of the strategies that you use to build your cash buyer list through there? And to, how have you done it to grow your business out there in St. Louis? You, you almost nailed it exactly. So I use that data as like an icebreaker almost. And then it also is a way for us to find common ground to build that conversation and initially build rapport 
with that buyer or even the agent that represented that buyer. So I, I pull up where we build a, a comparative market analysis for every single property in the US, whether it's flipped or not. If they're flipped, we do put the before and after together. So when I pull, when I started here, and this is what we teach people too, is like, look at the last 20, 10 to 20 flips that happened in your target area, right? You're only targeting high investor activity areas. This is one of the keys to helping people to have success is that you do not want to target areas that have low investor activity because the ingredients to assemble a deal aren't present. Mm. And if I'm trying to prove after repair value on a property I'm evaluating, I can't prove after repair value if I don't have any renovated comps. So our reverse REI strategy helps guide you to the, the right places to look for deals, which in my mind is way more important than anything else. Where you look for deals is more important than what list you're pulling. It's more important than if you use Privy or if you don't use Privy, who your agent is, who your coach is, um, whether you're doing wholesale, fix and flip, strategic or uh, you know creative deal structure, whether you're doing um, email blast or text messages or ringless voicemail. None of that stuff is important as where you look for deals. Dive you could have deeper. the best yeah, marketing yeah. in the world. And if you are pulling leads out of an area and that area, that house is in an area where no one's doing flips, the only way you can make the numbers work is for submitting a really low ball offer. But if there's a flip right next door and you're, have to, you're trying to buy a property at say 60% of the ARV, you immediately can offer 20 to 30% more on a house that's next to a flip than in a house that's not next to a flip and the house next door is an unrenovated sale. So you see how that pushes your offer down? So totally. if you go and you target high investor activity areas, it pulls the offer up that you can submit to them. Well, we'll get you closer to either what the list price is if it's on market or what the expected price would be for somebody who's off market because they're looking at Zillow and they have really no sense of what their house is really worth. But that investor activity is what drives the whole thing. You target high investor activity areas, you have a higher rate of accepted offers you can give them better prices it's a win-win all around and then once you do that and you get a property under contract now you've got all these flipped houses as evidence of what the arv is and who likes that well buyers love it because now they don't have to like go and, and force a round peg into a square hole to try to get some value out of it it's like oh i got five houses that were flipped they all sold for th between 300 and 320 thousand the arv is 320 right? Or, or 300. Not, oh, I got, you know, all these houses that sold, none of them are renovated. What the heck is the ARV? Well, buyers won't move on those things. They won't buy them. And even if you did the most perfect renovation on a house, if it's the first, second, third flip in that neighborhood, well, guess what? The appraiser has to use unrenovated houses to appraise that home. And that squashes the value you can get out of it. They'll give you a little bit of a bump, because they know you spent some money on it, but they have to use unrenovated comps. It's the only ones. And got. now your your yeah. ROI is screwed. Totally. So if we created like a hierarchy of what's important, you know, between you know the level of market competition, the connection to buyers, uh, cash buyers, data. What I'm hearing from you is it sounds like the data and having enough data is the most important factor of anything in having a successful flipping business. It is 100%. The data is the key. And it's not just any data. It's it's the data that you you get and how you use it. Like you said, to find cash buyers, right? Like you can use that data to find cash buyers that are doing deals today, right? You can use that data to find the best areas to go and invest and bring you up to be a local market expert in next to no time. So you feel comfortable doing deals in areas outside your own backyard where you may never see some properties that are that are good. It's also going to save you a ton of time. This is a this is a great story. So one of our users, her name is Ruchika Diaz, and um, she is an engineer. She's a mom, full time job, like really super busy. And um, she came on and wanted to start wholesaling. She already had like a couple properties in her rental portfolio, and she lives in Houston. Now Houston is a market where we've got some data, but we don't have direct to MLS data there yet. We're working on it. And so she came on and she's like, "Well, Benson, will this work for me?" Like. I really want the best data that's available. I'm like, yeah, you can still do deals in Houston. You just won't have 
the best data that's available. And the next closest place for you that I would consider targeting is Dallas-Fort Worth. And she's like, well, you know, I go and I drive around and I look at these houses and, and it, you know, that's kind of my process. I'm like, listen, just do this, right? And do what your coach says. Her coach is uh, Justin Colby. Mm-hmm. Um, and we, we know that you're going to have some success here. So she started doing it. She got her first wholesale deal closed in like less than two weeks. And in about six months, she's got close to $200,000 in assignment fees. Um, all 100% virtual. Six months. Six months. Okay, cool. Six months. All 100% virtual. She never saw any of the houses with her own two eyes. And they were all on market wholesale deals. Here's the biggest thing that I learned from it. She told me, Benson, it was liberating for me to actually be able to to do stuff remotely because I would have I would have went and, dr- and drove around every single house because that's what I thought I needed to do. So she was spending all of her free time driving, looking at houses and maybe winning the bids, maybe not winning the bids, or maybe not even submitting offers because she once she ran the numbers, like they just didn't make sense anyway. Once I got that out of out of I was getting out of my own way. I was creating problems for my myself. Me looking at my own neighborhood was holding me back. That's what I learned. That was one of the most important lessons out of it is that so many people think that when you look in your own neighborhood, that's going to help you do more deals. And that's not necessarily the case. Yeah. To your point, which is a phenomenal point is essentially you get caught sucked into the blue collar work aspect of the business instead of the more of the sales high level CEO type work, which is absolutely tremendous. So Right. And then leading on the data, leading leaning on the data too, for, for the decision-making and not the, you know, the qualitative things of driving and looking and making, feeling good. It's like, okay, the comps say it's a deal. Here's all the comps. Here's what I can see. Here's my property. I can get this at, you know, 60% of the ARV. And my buyer told me they'd buy stuff up to 65%. I'm writing an offer. And so she was able to get her offer volume up as well, which was key to her hitting, hitting her, her numbers. On top of the fact that when she writes an offer, she's got such good data to show the people she's writing an offer to on why she's writing where she's at. And another reason she might be getting more offers accepted. Definitely. Yep. So let's talk about like what makes Privy unique to the marketplace. Yeah, it's it's interesting. There's a lot of great competitors out there that we have, and over the early on, I, I used to think that everyone's a competitor, right? And now more and more, I'm realizing that there's a little bit of overlap. Like we've got some common things, but really, what Privy does is very unique. Um, like I said, we have a patent pending on our reverse REI search, uh, but one of the the key, I guess, differentiating factors is this direct to MLS data that we have. So we've been able to negotiate direct to MLS for data contracts and it's, it's the raw data. So it's the same data that agents and appraisers use, but it's not the MLS like, like they use it or how I use it as an agent. It's the raw data. So we, we, we curate that data we run algorithms against it and we make it actionable for real estate investing strategies. Um, we've got a comping algorithm that's running on every single house in the US. So you always know values. The thing that we do that separates just a normal comp from a regular comp is we pull this investor activity. So when we show you the best areas to go and invest, again, that's another unique thing that Privy does, is we show you on a heat map, like, and I, I would say I'm, I have, I'm of average intelligence. When I look at, at a graph with a bunch of lines, or I look at a spreadsheet, and there's just all kinds of noise there, like, I don't know how to use that. Anybody can look at Privy and they can say, oh my God, like here's this heat map of where all the deals are. And then all I have to do is just look for deals where the big blue blobs are right on the map, right? Like it make we really make it simple for people to just look at that and be like, oh yeah, I go here. And, and that is, is easy for them. And then they can dig in and they can say, okay, cool. Well, I'm in this big blue blob now. Here's all the investors that bought those properties, you know, and we, they can do their local market research. I don't know that anybody else does that. The, the before and after, I know for sure nobody's doing that. And nobody else has that, that MLS data. We're the only ones that have it on scale. There's a couple of companies that have it kind of in like local markets. But this is the benefit to the platform too, is you can do business anywhere. So 
if, if you are in a crappy market like I was in Colorado, well, then I just, that's why I chose St. Louis. It's because now I can come here and I can buy five properties for the price of one, get a way better return on investment, and there's better cash flow out here. Um, the 1% rule is impossible to make work in Colorado in the front range. And this is just one market. I mean, I'm, I'm interested in a lot of different markets. I'm not going to spread myself too thin just yet, but I know I can. And, no. and anybody out there, what I would just caution you of is don't look for deals where you live for the simple fact that it's convenient or it's comfortable or it's familiar or it makes you feel warm and fuzzy inside. None of those are good reasons to look for deals where you live. Yeah, um, it, the data should suggest other suggest that your local market is also a great market at a minimum. Yep, and then you're, you're checking boxes, right? So you have high investor activity area. And then if you can layer that on top of one of our direct to MLS data areas, so you got really rich photos, you got the, all the agent information there. You can see the before and after pictures side by side. And those, those data updates are like multiple times per hour. So when you're comping properties out, um, you're making sure that you're using the best data that's available to get an accurate number because, man, I mean, believe it or not, people are still using like Zillow to comp properties out. Yeah. Like it's, it's insane that they would actually make buying decisions off of some website where their, their estimate is so bad that they had to shut down their iBuyer program and lost billions of dollars because they were using their own data to go and buy properties. Well, one of the executives household for a million dollars different than this estimate, uh, which which was a very very unique thing. Um, I just t tell me if this uh, question is a little bit uh, too much, but given that you guys have had to take the data and create your own valuation process, like. How hard is the algorithm to create to price properties? Because obviously Zillow's got a lot of money. They got a lot of methodologies. But like, I would imagine, I mean, my degree is in mathematics and it, it seems like a very difficult problem to solve. Like, give oh, us- it's, it's insurmountable. This is, this is why we actually don't do it. So I'll be very clear about what it is we do. So there's what's called an AVM, automated valuation model. That's what the Zestimate is. So them being a billion dollar company and pouring hundreds of million dollars into that, it was, it was really a marketing ploy and it worked extremely well. Like it put Zillow on the map, there's estimate did. Um, I love it as a marketing angle, but from like a, a usefulness aspect of it, it's just, it's like a toy, right? Like somebody who's buying a house can go in there and they can see a number or if someone's thinking about selling their house, they might use that. But I think they say in their disclaimer, don't quote me on this, but it's like 20 to 30% off in either direction, which makes it basically unusable. <laughs> it's a big um, deal in real estate. So, so the lesson from that is don't use automated valuation models if you can. What we do is we, we comp all the properties out and then we show you the data. And if you're using our software, your goal is to, is to understand after repair value, right? So what we say is target, and this is how we teach people to use it target a high investor activity area, look for unrenovated homes in neighborhoods where there's renovated homes. And then if you have a three bedroom, two bath house that's unrenovated and it's next to a three bedroom, two bath house that which is fixed and flipped and that sold yesterday, that's your ARV. It's, it's really that simple. So this approach starts from a top down and you're reversing reverse engineering the process to where you're looking for houses that are unrenovated next to unrenovated homes. And then your after repair value is what that house was fixed and flipped and sold for. Now that's simplified. That's, we simplify it, but that's the process. If you do that, your ARV jumps out and just smacks you in the face. Yeah. And, and because you're in a high investor activity, the data becomes clear. You get within a five thousand or ten thousand dollar radius on a lot of Midwest properties, and so you, you're relatively safe if you follow the data. Let's let's talk yeah. about the the tension between having a lot of data and having too much competition in a market. Because my natural thought process would be, okay, if there's a lot of data, it means there's a lot of flippers, and if there's a lot of flippers, that means yeah. there's a lot of competition. So talk to me about the balance between a lot of data and a lot of competition. It's an interesting thing. So. When people say competition, they might as well just say comps 
Hmm. Without competition, there's no comps. Ooh. Right? So it, it, it is a double-edged sword. So if you go to an area where there's no competition, you won't have any comps. So you won't be able to prove ARV in an area where you can go and easily find opportunities. There's, a, there's lots of other reasons why you want competition because there are potential JV partners, there's investor-focused agents. That competition and that data is also what you're going to use to prove valuation to your buyer and or your who the appraiser is. So do you have to go to the highest investor activity areas? No. But here's here's what I know, Matt. I can there's two there's two problems there, right? There's the problem of too much competition, there's a problem of no comparables. I can solve the problem of no com of too much competition by being faster, by by act, analyzing properties quicker, by just being have better follow through, just executing at a high level and being an operator. Unique well, we can solve all of those problems. Mm -hmm. You know what I can't solve? I can't solve the problem of no comps. They're either there or they're not. So if you go to an area that has no comps, you're creating obstacles for yourself and eventually you're gonna burn out because you can't build a business around an area where they're, the ingredients to, to build a deal are not present. You might stumble into a deal and you might think, oh, well, I, I, can, I can operate in Wichita, Kansas, but maybe that's the only deal you close that year. So get out of your own way, leverage the data and target high, let's just say intermediate to high investor activity areas if you're really you know, concerned about competition. But that's the cool thing about Privy is it's doing the heavy lifting for you. So you have an advantage already with Privy because the algorithm automates that whole process of finding, running comparables, identifying deals, building the comparative market analysis and emailing it to you. So you already have an advantage because you're eliminating all the time it takes to find those opportunities. Let's say tomorrow, Matt, there's a hundred new properties that are for sale in Chicago. Well, I have to go in there and I have to run comps on a hundred properties to maybe five of the five that are deals. So what that means is I just spent 95% of my time running comps on properties I'm going to say no to anyway. How amazing is it to get that per, that time back where, okay, I, I get rid of the 95% of the properties that have no data that says they're a deal right out of the gates. So I don't spend a single second on those. And then I spend my time looking at the five to whittle it down to the two that are the, those deals I need to get offers on like right now. And then I'm the first one to submit an offer that's close to asking price if it needs to be because the house right next door was just fixed and flipped. I know my numbers. I can I can write an offer, get you know that something that's, that's reasonable that they're willing to accept with price and terms that the seller wants. I can repeat that process. And now we've got users that are closing dozens of deals a month because they're using that exact same strategy. How close do you believe an offer should be to the list price? Like let's say their criteria is X. How close does that need to be to the list price to make sense of making the offer? It depends on, on what my exit strategy is, right? So if I'm going to wholesale, I really want to know what my buyers want. And I actually would vet them out and, and set the expectation before I even start writing offers. So if I, when I, when I find buyers on Privy, one of the main things I look at is have they bought properties from the MLS? If I know they bought a property from the MLS, then that solves one of the questions for me. And something I would have asked of a buyer once I had a conversation is, are you willing to buy properties from the MLS? And they're like, no. Okay, well, cool. Well, I'll see if I find something that's off market for you. They say, yes. Well, Mike, well, great, because I can find this stuff on the MLS really quickly and, and efficiently faster than, than you know, 95% of the people out there. That's great. The next thing I want to know is, okay, are you a rational buyer or are you a buyer who buys emotionally? Buyers who buy emotionally let their egos get in the way, and they don't necessarily pay attention to just the numbers. They want to feel like they're getting a deal. And so when you can talk to a buyer and you can see like, what really is their motivation? And I, this is how I would lay it out. I'd say, um, I would call them based off of a house I know they bought. I'd be like, hey, Matt, looks like you just how you closed this house on Main Street last week. Um, it looks amazing, by the way. Like, I wouldn't think that a pink door would work on a house, but like somehow you guys made it work. Congratulations. That's just, it just looks really cool. And looked, and by the way, like you got in and out of that thing in 90 days. 
like there's no way like you guys must have like a totally professional crew i don't know how you did that like kudos to you um the reason why i'm calling is because you know i'm looking for some active investors that are doing deals in your market and based off of this house on main street it looks like you're you're pretty active are you guys still buying right now are you looking for properties and they'd be like yeah of course i mean we're always looking for deals right and then i would say well that's awesome well this one on main street it looks like he bought it at about you know 60 percent of the arv from the mls is that kind of like you know one of your standard things that you do and they'll be like yes no whatever i'm like cool so you, you don't have any problem with mls deals as long as the numbers work right and they'd be like yeah of course right the next thing i say is well okay well awesome well you bought this house at 60 percent is that kind of where you need to be on kind of a standard remodel you know just assuming it doesn't need a roof and the house isn't falling over and you get them to kind of you know figure out like what is okay for them and they're like yeah well you know we bought it 60 percent back in in you know july but you know because of the shifting market we're buying at like 55 percent right now and i'd be like awesome well that's great well listen i I'm, I'm finding amazing deals all the time and honestly i've got i'm really good with data and i'm finding properties faster more effectively than anybody out there and i can oftentimes get properties locked up before anybody even really knows about them. And if I can find a property that's lower than 55% and I have to get close to ask price to make that deal work, would you have a problem with that as long as all your other numbers made sense? And I get them to say yes. And if they say yes to that, then down the road when that happens, it's not as much of a discussion. And if it is, I can be like, Matt, we talked two weeks ago and you told me that if I could find something that was close to ask price that was lower than 55% and matched all your other deal criteria, that wouldn't be a problem. What's changed? Should I, should I give this deal to somebody else? Because listen, I wanted to bring it to you first because I really want to build a relationship with you. But if something like this doesn't interest you, I'm happy to give it to somebody else. So that's kind of how that goes. But really, it shouldn't matter that it was from the MLS or that it was close to asking price or even over asking price. Let's say I'm an agent, right? So I'm going to, I'm going to talk crap about agents for a second. <laughs> agents love to put properties on the market lower than their retail price to try to create an artificial bidding war, right? They do this all the time. So done some done idiot, a fair, agent fair, fair times myself. Yeah. Does that, why should that mess up the numbers on my deal? Correct. Knowing that, like, let's say they listed it for 70 grand, but that house is really worth 85. And then somebody buys it for, for 90. Well, if it's worth 80 and I have to buy it for 80, even though they bought it for, they listed it for 70,000 and the ARV is 200,000. So that's put in this house at like 40% of the ARV. Why should it matter to a buyer? It shouldn't, right? It shouldn't at all. It, it should not matter, but it does because of emotion and because of ego. So how can I vet my buyers out in a way to where I can kind of get a lot of that out of the way in advance and figure out who is the buyers that are gonna be the highest value for me and who should I be spending my time with and who should I be looking for deals for? Because if I can find the buyers where ego is not in play and they're buying based off the numbers and, and they're not doing it off of some irrational, like I have to feel like I'm getting the deal thing, then I'm gonna be way more successful. Yeah, and a lot of that comes with with being a seasoned investor too, because I think a lot of times just the early initial thought process for investors is, well, hey, if you were able to buy it that easy, then it's probably not worth what we think it's worth. Whereas seasoned investors who've done dozens and dozens of these deals, they know deals get sold under what they're worth all the time, or they get listed in the wrong places. And yeah, I love that vetting process. So yeah. Essentially, your your main process, if we were to define it out, is you, you choose a market first. That's the most important thing. You pick a high activity market that you feel like you could perform well in. Is your next step then, it sounds like, is to go ahead and build your buyer list before you go ahead and start hunting properties? 100%. Yeah, there's there's a term out there for it. People call it the reverse, they call it reverse wholesaling which in my mind, it isn't reverse. Like, I think it's it's the way it should be. Like, I don't really think that anybody should go out there and write offers without a disposition strategy, right? It, is, it, is, it seems it's backwards in my mind. So if you know, if you do your local market research using Privian, you can quickly build a buyer's list in like an afternoon, or at least put them on a list and gather some content information 
then you could spend another day reaching out and talking to people. You've only spent, you know, a dozen hours maybe doing that, but now you've got that high value buyers list and you know what they're willing to buy and you vetted them out. At that point, I would feel comfortable going in and start writing the offers, but not before that, because the worst thing that you can do is find an amazing deal. You get it under contract, but you don't have buyers that know who you are and trust you and are going to respond to your texts and your emails when you send that property out. And you only have sometimes seven to 10 days to get the property out there, market it, get a buyer in there so they can do, do their due diligence and then have them you know, sign an, an assignability contract or an assignment contract. It, that's, it's hard to make all that work in that short time period. So the people that don't build their buyers list to start usually cancel more contracts than the ones that do. Yeah, which is really like not fun. It's not fun for the seller, not fun for the you know, the original buyer. So once, once someone has their, their buyers lined up, the process gets pretty smooth from there, right? They're getting the emails from Privy, understand the properties, they're making their offers, buyers are, their end buyers are pretty much ready to go. They're making the assignments. And because you've done the, the harder work up front, the back end is pretty, pretty smooth from there. Yeah. There's always tweaking, right? Like you could have said that, you know, in May of last year, and then everyone would be like, yeah, it's perfect. And then the bottom fell out of the market, right? And so everybody's scrambling, trying to figure out what to do next. So the market's always shifting. And so this is why I tell people, um, you know, we've got deal alerts to send you properties that you can buy. But I tell people, set alerts for activity as it's happening in real time. So every time a new flip happens in your target area, look at it. Look to see if there's any trends. Are the, are the percentages of ARV going down now? Are they going up? Are acquisition prices increasing? What's the, the construction period on these things? Is the days on market going up in the area that you want to target? Like all of that local market intelligence would be impossible for a solopreneur who's trying to do this in their spare time. But with Privy, it's really easy to kind of keep your finger on the pulse of the market and notice some trends and what's actually going on. And then also constantly building your buyers list with new fresh people because it's all automated. You're just checking your email like, okay, another house just flipped, right? My God, they got that thing at 70% of the ARV. Like last month, no one was buying above 60%. And now I got to somebody new who's willing to pay up. I want to talk to that person. Right? They're a more high value buyer for me than somebody yes. who is only looking for houses at 40%. Totally. I mean, there's so much good stuff to this because you've got, like you said, you've got the leveling up of your buyer list. If someone on your buyer's list bought, it's a way of connecting with them again and continuing to deepen that relationship by showing them, hey, I'm paying attention to you. I see what you're doing out there. Congratulations. Um, yeah. yeah, it's really, really cool. Take me a little bit into your journey as you know, being associated with the software and being one of the co-owners. Like, What's, what's a life like for someone who's a co-owner of a software company? Oh, man. You know, I, I'm actually... I feel like I'm a pretty unique individual. I don't think I've got like any, any superpowers or anything, but um, like I'm not married right now. I don't have kids. I just got a puppy. So that's like my biggest responsibility right now. Um, so I'm able to really just keep my head down and grind. Um, and it's not for everybody, right? I've made a lot of sacrifices and, you know, the social life is next to nothing. And, you know, over COVID and, you know, this the separation, like, relationships didn't weren't nurtured and a lot of a lot of things have happened so and i'm not saying this is how it has to go but i've been able to you know for many years is really keep my head down and just grind and just really help push the, the company forward um the best way that i know how and so you know i'm fortunate to where i really enjoy what i'm doing and for me the the most exciting thing is when i get to like do a training and somebody says like, I just closed my first deal with Privy. Or I go to an event and somebody comes and hugs me that I, someone I've never met before. And it was like, thank God for Privy. Like you've, you've changed my life. Like people have literally told me that. And it just makes it all worth it. And so, you know, the, sometimes people say like, you're, you can't see the forest through the trees. That's how I feel a lot. 
right? Because mm-hmm. I'm just so close to the business every day and we're always grinding and it's always like, what can we do better? And what's the next promotion? And, you know, what's the next feature we're going to add? And when I get the feedback that it, it works for people and we have these amazing stories like Rachika and, and Mamudisa and John Galan and um, Jason Cavado, I'm going to get a chance to meet him. He's one of our users in San Antonio. I'm going down there for an event. And he literally told me like, you got, you changed me and my family's life. Mm. And I'm just like, that's why I do it. That's why I grind. And that's why I get no sleep. And that's why I wake up in the middle of the night and jump on the computer and and do things because it's, it's good for guys like Jason. Yeah, absolutely. And your brain is probably wired to just think of ideas and think of ideas. And because not only are you working on the software, you're in the business I'm sure that creates quite a bit of mental activity surrounding, here's how I can make it better. Here's how I can carry it on. Oh yeah. And and I know that my our, our team is the same way. So before like six, seven months ago, we had a really, really small team. It was me, my business partner, and our, our developer. It was only three of us. But because of the way our company has been in the kind of like this you know, high growth phase, like we've been hiring all kinds of new engineers and developers and marketing people, you know, I'm able to take some hats off and the kind of focus on what I like doing. And, you know, Scott's been able to, to kind of take some stuff off of his plate. And so we're really getting way more specialized in moving from like startup world to like growth phase company. And it's, it's really exciting. Like we got so many exciting things coming down the pipe. We're always launching new MLSs. We've got like, 20 or 30 that are in the queue right now um that next phase will get us to about 80 percent coverage of the entire united uh states the populated areas um and then we're adding in um the really cool you know calculators for for long-term rentals so you'll be able to search for properties based off of gross yield net operating income cash on cash return um and then you can tweak some things there and it'll use that same philosophy that we have for finding like wholesale or fix and flip or just discounted deals where you'll be able to say, okay, show me all the rentals in this neighborhood. Here's what we think that they're renting for. Here's what their cap rates are. You click one button that says, find me a house that I can buy right now. That's just like those ones that are next door. And the algorithm will do that. And then we're going to take that foundation and move it into short-term rentals. So we're adding in a whole new short-term rental database so that people can go and, f- and find Airbnbs and VRBOs and be able to analyze the data in a way where they understand, you know, occupancy rates, you know, rental rates from, a, you know, short-term rental uh, comparables, and then build their portfolio that way anywhere in the U.S. So those are like two of the new things that we're adding in um, that are coming down the pipe, which is really exciting. That is like crazy exciting to think of, you know, people can so easily then decide, okay, long-term rental, short-term rental, because the numbers are generally such a hard thing to think through and calculate and know having that at your fingertips, it makes the decision-making process so, so much easier. Um, and that's like, even in negotiating yeah. a deal, like we've negotiated a ton of deals as agents and as investors. And it's like, it sounds like your software is going to be able to give a multifaceted strategy to an investor. Like a single property could be used a lot of different ways. It could be short-term, it could be long-term, you know, maybe someone oh, wants yeah. to minimize their risk. It's like, Hey, I want to run it as a short-term, but what if I'm wrong? What happens if legislation change? I want to be able to profit on short-term. They could click, I'm sure, and toggle between the two and make sure it checks out in both cases. Um, that gets really, You're really exciting. exactly right. And you mentioned from an agent perspective too, like, a big portion of all of our users are agents. And sometimes people say, well, why would an agent use Privy if they have the MLS? Well, the MLS is just a place to go list properties. It isn't designed to go and search for deals, track markets, do investor activity. There's no side-by-side comparison. There's no comping algorithm, right? The MLS is just a place where agents go to list properties. And yeah, they can, they can go in and manually pull comps, but I mean, 20 years experience as an agent, access to MLS. If I'm going to properly comp a property out, it can take me an hour or more to do it. And that's with all of the tools and the experience at my disposal. Imagine what the average investor is doing, but most agents don't know either, right? So we got a lot of agents that use Privy because when we, Privy was initially initially conceived of, it was conceived of from an investor focused agent 
perspective. How could we as agents and investors ourselves automate the whole process of finding and analyzing deals, leveraging the data we knew we had access to, which was MLS. And so Privy was built for that. It was actually never even intended on being a product. We never intended on selling it. It was just to help us scale our business and be more effective and efficient. Yeah. Love that. And it's interesting how the game has changed, right? A couple of decades ago, the game was information. There were a lot of people that didn't have it as they had the printed out MLS sheets. Then the MLS came along and made data available. Then MLS got mass adoption. And like a lot of social medias, it seems like getting access to most data is not the problem anymore. It's the curation of the data. It's having it easily accessible, accessible quickly, et cetera, which seems like that's one of the strongest points that Privy offers. Um, so kudos to you guys, man, for building it, for doing it, it for launching it. And and it's not no small feat where you've gotten it to and, and whose hands you've gotten it into. So, you know, kudos to you. I mean, there's a lot of software engineers that have built some cool tech that, ha- that is not gone anywhere because of lack of sales or, you know, lack of uh, marketing. Yeah, the adoption is the key, right? So, you know, you're right about us being able to put it in the hands of the right people. And then, you know, that gives us, you know, some people now are willing to, to scream about privy from from the mountaintops right from the rooftops because it, it does what it's supposed to do and it's making people money and there's a a lot of really cool technology and software companies out there and most of them are like efficiency type things like you got a cool crm right so you're able to store information and it, it helps you to easily you know pull info and get access to things and it's it's necessary but when I look at like what the value proposition of Privy and us literally being able to hand you a deal that will make you $30,000, like we had a user who got a $30,000, found a property in Privy. It sent it to her. She wrote an offer, locked it up, assigned it for 30 grand. There is no technology out there that can do that for you. Like it almost literally writes you a check. Like it's, it's pretty mind boggling what we're able to do. But does it still have the efficiencies? Yeah, like the automation and the comping. Um, you know, we've got the, the on-market deals. We've got tons of off-market deals too. Like, you know, one of our competitors, a great competitor, they're um, uh, PropStream, for example. Like they have off-market leads, right? And so a lot of people use that for that. Like, well, we've got the off-market leads too. And so a lot of people still want access to that. And that data has kind of just become universally available. So you just kind of have to have it but they don't have any of the direct to MLS or like a lot of the things that we've talked about today. Um, But it's just about making sure that, like you said, curating and making the data useful and actionable so that people actually feel comfortable taking action, writing that offer. Like you could have everything that you need, but if you're not, if you don't feel comfortable enough and you're hesitating or you're procrastinating, you're just not willing to to take that leap, you're never going to get a house under contract. You're never going to close a deal, right? You got to be comfortable enough to take that first step and get that offer out. And that's what our software does. Love it. Benson Juarez, thank you so much for coming on. I know we'll have some links to Privy and to the course. Uh, But guys, for those out there listening, there's so many nuggets in here between what are the key ingredients of a deal? What's the process? What orders? What's most important? We've covered a lot of things in here. Write something down that meant something to you and share it with somebody you know so that you can take action and do so in the next seven days. Because freedom is acquired one action at a time. And if you take action day by day, before you know it, you'll be living a life of freedom. Thank you guys for tuning in and we'll catch you on the next episode.